Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I'm, of course, Andrew Gerza, your disability dreamboat, your disabled boyfriend experience. I am all these things, and I'm excited you're here to shine a bright light on sex and disability with me today for our new episode. And this one, I'm really, this one is a a funny one that I had fun making the notes for. I just spent the last two hours making notes, and I'm ready to dive right in. I'm also just a little bit super annoyed because I just recorded the first five minutes, and then... My recording software decided to be like, fuck you, we're not going to work. And so I had a bunch of funny quips in there that I now have to try to redo and make them sound natural. And that pisses me off. Let me tell you, as a podcaster, when your stuff breaks and you're in the middle of a good flow, it's really, really super annoying. So I kind of know what maybe Eminem feels like when he's trying to rap and something goes wrong, maybe. Maybe that's a shitty comparison, but there we are. Um... Alright, so, okay, let's get to the show. Just want to do a little side note. Why I brought up Eminem there might be because I've had a crush on him since he was Slim Shady. I don't really know what it is. I know he's a bit of a douche. I know he's super misogynistic. I know all those things, but I'm super into him. I don't know what it is. It's like, Eminem, you want to talk dirty to me and do all the things? I'm there for it, but I kind of think you're gross and I kind of want to hate fuck you. I want to, like, bring my queerness into you by fucking it into you or something. I'm I'm in a weird headspace for this podcast, but there you have it. There's another little perk about Andrew you didn't know. I have the hots for Eminem. There it is. But okay, now really, on to the show. Okay, so this episode, I called it Things I've Done for Boys to Like Me. So we've all done things that make things to make someone like us. Or things to show our affection for someone that we really liked. This kind of grand, big gesture thing has been the staple of 80s and 90s rom-coms that I love so much. I've always been into these, these kind of gestures, and I wish that I could do them more. I take people's happiness very seriously, especially the happiness of boys whose penises I might fillet. I take it very seriously. Sometimes a little too seriously, if I'm totally honest. I can get pretty intense. If I like a guy. I really relate to Mindy Kaling's character in The Mindy Project and her love of Meg Ryan films. I am also really obsessed with Meg Ryan films and I wish that she would make a comeback. Um, And I wish that she would do You've Got Mail too. Don't pretend like some of you wouldn't be totally down for that if they were like, Hey, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks are going to reboot themselves and do a comeback bunch of movies. I would be so there for that. I would love it. I'm totally obsessed with 
with grand over its gestures. Um, but sometimes being disabled, the idea of making one of those grand big gestures seems impossible. I mean, I can't even wipe my own ass. So how in the hell would I be able to stand out in the, in the rain holding a boombox or book tickets to the Eiffel Tower or Empire State Building to show someone what they mean to me? Hell, I couldn't even hold a flash mob because of my spatial awareness issues and my spastic CP. Let's picture it. My spatial awareness would mean that I'd be really confused because I'd never know where I'm going and I have the worst sense of direction on the planet. Anybody who's spent, like, five minutes with me walking anywhere knows that I have no idea where I'm going unless I've been there, like, a hundred thousand times that I know. But if it's, like, the first time we're going somewhere and I have to know where I'm going, I have no clue. So my spatial awareness means that I would be really confused and my spastic muscles would mean that I get so excited by what was happening and wanting to do it right that I would most certainly run people over with my chair. That being said, my dance moves, as we've all heard me say, would be epic. Epic! I mean, who wouldn't want spastic candy to flash mob them, right? Right? That's my stripper name, in case you didn't hear episode. The one about dancing is where I came out as spastic candy. But th- but seriously, a spastic candy flash mob would be amazing. Just people would get hurt. We'd have to have medics on the ground, for sure. So yeah, I pretty much decided that because of my disability and because of all those things, a grand gesture is just not possible. And that's probably why there are so many disabled people who are who are into poetry and into like writing a lot of things and writing deep things. There are so many, many disabled people and a lot of queer disabled people who write stuff, a lot of disabled people writing stuff because prose are sexy as fuck and they're also openly accessible to us when grand gestures aren't. So if if you've ever seen my text chain for a guy that I'm crushing on, I can get pretty flowery with my language because I want to be like super clear and super hot and I know I can't do something physical but I can write something really hot and make you excited by it so if you, if I've if I've ever liked you and I've written you a whole paragraph or five paragraphs or 10 paragraphs that's probably why but I want to talk today about a few times I did some silly things to either get my dick sucked or to make a boy like me, or both. These were things that were also super problematic for my disability, but at the time, I thought they'd be amazing, and because I didn't plan them out properly, or because I didn't take care of my needs, they weren't so amazing. So the first example that I want to give takes place when I was in my university town, and I really wanted to impress this cute boy that I had met online, and we had sucked each other's dicks at one point. And I was really into this guy, and I was really wanting to impress him, and he was really cute. He was a bit older than me, and I wanted to, I just wanted to see him again. And I wanted to do something super, like, I wanted to, to let him know that I was into him, and we were going to, let's, like, mess around again. Let's hang out. I want to let you know that I'm totally into you. And I wanted this guy to know that. And he was a flight attendant and we would talk online a little bit here and there and I I was of course the instigator because I was like I like you let's let's do the things and so he kept teasing me and suggesting that if I was to come to Toronto where he was based 
things will be easier for us to hook up. He had when I met him, he was on a layover at my university town, and we fucked around, and then he disappeared. So he's like, if you ever came to Toronto, we could totally mess around, and it'd be so fun. And I remember that when he told me that I should come to Toronto, I immediately was like, well, that's easy enough to do. I'll figure it out. Like, I know how to do this. I'm an adult. I can just hop on a plane and, and go see you. And I naively believed that if I did come to Toronto, that, like, my my our dreams would come true and we would at least fuck again and maybe date a little bit. I had all these ideas in my head about what would happen. But I was like, all I have to do is get to Toronto and that should be easy enough to do. And I wanted to fly because he was a flight attendant and he had a special flight attendant rate that he could help me get. So I was like, well, okay, I can do that. Sure, no problem. So I decided that I would do it one day. I was nervous, but I booked a flight which cost about... $200 from Ottawa, Canada, to Toronto, Canada for one weekend. I was imagining that when I got there, he would, like, run over to the airport with his arms outstretched, flowers, all those things, and we would make out and have a big reunion or something. And I remember going to the airport by myself, and I was so nervous because I had flown before, and I had flown with my mom, and we had... My mom and I had spent hours flying, and she taught me how to you know, fly properly and how to talk about the wheelchair and what to tell them how to do and all these things. I knew how to do that, but I had never, ever flown by myself before. And at this point, this was a couple years ago, when disabled people were allowed to fly by themselves before we were considered like a major liability or anything. But because I am so, quote unquote, severely disabled, I'm considered a liability and now I'm not allowed to ever fly by myself. Um, so I was able to get on the flight by myself and they carried me on and they put me on the seat, which was terrifying because I remember they almost dropped me and it was a whole thing, but I got in the seat and I sat in the chair by myself. I was in a row that was empty. I was by myself and I was so excited because usually I'm with my mom. I'm with a team of individuals to make sure I'm okay. And I had never flown by myself. So I remember sitting in the plane being like, this is super exciting. This is super great. This is really awesome. All the while, I'm having a giant smirk on my face because I'm doing this big thing, which as a disabled person is really scary to do when you've never done it by yourself. And I'm doing it because at the end of this journey, I'm thinking there's going to be cock at the end. And so I was so excited to do it. And I wanted to fly away because I knew that when I landed, I'd see this guy and we would have great sex all weekend. Yeah, so none of the regular things bothered me. Their, like, disorganization, their inability to put the chair in the plane, all the things that usually as a flyer, like, when I fly for work, when they do this shit to me, I get super mad. But at this point, I was like, this is great, I'm flying alone, like, I'll be super polite, it'll be easy, no problem. Meanwhile, like, they could be totally busting the chair. I didn't care because I was in the pursuit of peen, and I was going to do this by myself. And I remember that I didn't tell my mom about this excursion because I wanted to be a huge slut with this guy. And I didn't want my mom to know that I was, like, slutting around in Toronto with this this practical stranger who I had just met. And I just didn't want her to know. So I told her, I told her later, and she was super pissed. And as you'll hear, I would have much rather spent the weekend at home with my mom and my family. And I it was would have been a much smarter move of me to spend time there than I did with this guy, but you'll you'll hear more about that in a second. 
There's a lot more to come on this episode of Disability After Dark, but first, we're going to play some ads from our awesome sponsor and some great listeners, so we'll do that and we'll be right back on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining light on sex and disability with your host, Andrew Gerza. Hi, I'm Dan Meisner. I make a show called Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. And for me, the most powerful part of podcasting is this capacity for real, authentic human stories where people can be open and honest and a little bit vulnerable. And my favorite types of stories are the ones that help me understand other people's lived experiences. And to me, that is exactly what Disability After Dark does each and every episode. That is what keeps me listening. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. And we're back. I want to thank our amazing sponsors, Come As You Are. I want to thank Dan from the awesome podcast, Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids, for leaving me that awesome promo. That's an amazing podcast. You should all stop and listen to that podcast. It's totally independently produced. It's an amazing show. Their live shows are so funny, and I really appreciate uh, Dan Meisner for putting together that promo for me. If you are a listener of the program, as we near episode 100 of the show... I would love to have your view on what Disability After Dark means to you, how it shone a light on sex and disability for you. So send me a voice clip, a 30-second voice clip, about what the show means for you to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com, our email, and let me know what it means for you as a disabled person, as a non-disabled person, as a listener, what's funny about it, what's insightful, and what kind of shows do you want to hear in the next 100 episodes? Okay, so now back to this episode right here on Disability After Dark. So I get to the airport to, and I'm all excited. I get off the plane and in disability traveling fashion, something on my wheelchair was damaged. I can't remember what, but I remember something being damaged on my chair for sure. But I didn't care because I was hopeful that I would see this guy. And if anyone saw me getting off the plane or get, having people get me off the plane, I was so nervous, but also so, so excited. I was so overjoyed to see this guy. And I was, you know, kind of expecting that he might be a little bit excited to see me too. I was hoping that that was what the case would be. Much to my dismay, though, he sauntered up kind of like slowly and like really begrudgingly through the the Pearson Toronto airport and looked at me rather disinterested and was all oh hey like that just like oh hey and I was like what the fuck why isn't this guy a little bit more excited and this was before this was about 10 years before millennial malaise was cool and hip and so I didn't realize he was being super rude to me and being a shy, awkward wallflower who wanted to impress the able-bodied guy, I didn't say anything. And I was just like, oh, hey, cool. 
And I tried to like be that much more excited because he was less excited to see me. But inside I was like, what the fuck is the deal with this guy? And at one point we were going around the airport and we were looking for, I had booked accessible transit to get us to the hotel where we were staying or where he was staying and the transit fucked up and it didn't show up at the right time or I booked it at the wrong place or something. And he, I remember him being super annoyed that we had to look for accessible transit and the whole idea of going on accessible transit, like pissed him off and wasn't cool for him. And I was like, oh, this is kind of like what, this is like what the deal is with, with me coming here to do it. Like, and I, I had briefed him before I left to say like, are you sure that doing all this with me is okay? Like, this is what it is. Are you sure? And he was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. And then I got there and I think the realization for him that I was actually disabled and if we were going to do this for a weekend, he would have to take some responsibility of all the things. I think that terrified him and I think he just couldn't deal with it. But we, the whole weekend, we barely spoke to each other. I followed him around like a puppy dog the whole weekend wanting him, wanting his approval and wanting to meet his friends and wanting to like go to the gay village of Toronto, which at that point... I didn't live in Toronto, I lived in my university town, so the whole idea of going to, to like, the gay village in Toronto was a big deal for me, and I really wanted to go with him, and I wanted to be with, like, the good-looking, cute guy in the village, and he was that guy for me, and the fact that he didn't speak to me, like, he did not, he barely spoke to me, and when he did, he did so in a really condescending, disability-type way, and it pissed me off so much. I was like, what am I even doing here? And then and then one afternoon, when, like one of the afternoons that I was there, we went for a lunch with his friend. And I said, okay, I'll go with you. And so we're, we're there with his friend. He, he and his friend are talking. And actually, they're making out in front of me. And, and I was like, why am, I, uh, why am I here? This is a waste of my time. And I spent all this money to fuck this dude and to play and to do this grand gesture. And I, this guy won't even pay me any attention. He would help me out if I needed something in terms of care, but he would do so. He'd be like, <sighs> okay, come on, let's do it. Let's go. And so I'd be like, oh, wait, I thought we were like friends. I thought we were going to like do this together. What the hell is happening? And I, re I felt really bad the whole time about asking for anything because he would treat it like that. Like, there was no affection, there was no, we didn't make out, there was no, there was nothing of before, and I felt really dumb because I wanted to believe that he was into me, and really, I don't know what, like, I don't know why he invited me, was it pity, was it, was it heroism, like, why did he invite me there, but I felt really, really upset with myself for going, and so, one point about a day before I was supposed to leave, I said, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, I want to go home. And I want to go home now. And I booked a train ticket from Toronto back to Ottawa to and just, just to get out of there. And I booked it on my own and I left. I had him bring my stuff to the to the train station and I just left and I was like, I'm not gonna I don't wanna be here for this. And he he helped me to the train, said goodbye, and we you know, we didn't speak for years because I just thought, what a like what a ridiculous thing I did. And I remember getting on the train and sitting on the train. And I love the train as a wheelchair user because you're in first class and you they feed you and you drink and it's great. 
So I was I usually love the train, but I got on this train after leaving him for what I expected to be this great weekend of romance and fucking and fucking and love and all these things. And I was so mad and so angry. And I remember getting back to Ottawa and all my friends wanting to know how it went and I was so pissed. I couldn't even tell them really how I felt or how it went because I was so angry. Like, I didn't speak about it. I lied and said, oh, yeah, it was okay. Like, it was all right. Like, it was no- nothing really too 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 much happened. It was okay. It was good. When inside, I was like, the guy was an asshole. I wish he would have talked to me. No one talked to me. The whole weekend, I was alone. And I just, I felt really upset that I had spent all that money for a grand gesture to be, to be kind of rebuffed like that. The guy and I haven't chatted for years, uh, but I'll never forget that experience, and I will never fly to another city on the prospect of peeing alone again. Never, ever. If I'm working there and, and the person, the a company flies me out, and there happens to be hot peen there that wants to like bed me when I'm there, great. Otherwise, fuck you, I'm so not flying out for you, and I will not do that, to lose money, to not be talked to for a whole weekend. No fucking way is that happening. No way. Not to mention the fact that my wheelchair could totally have been damaged and I could totally have have lost the ability to use my chair on this trip because of the airport staff's incompetence, all for peeing that I didn't get. And like the whole time, that whole trip, he was standoffish. He didn't make any advances. He wouldn't let me make any advances towards him. So it really was a waste of time and a waste of money. And I won't... I learned my lesson there. I won't do a grand gesture like that again. Also, if the flight people had dropped me or something, I didn't tell anybody what was happening. So, uh, so like they would have known if I had gotten hurt. So I won't be doing grand gestures like that again without a, without a backup plan in, in place. So the next thing I did was less to impress the boy and more to get my own dick sucked. I was really, really horny and I really wanted, I really, this was back in my university days when I was like in my mid mid to late 20s and I wanted to like really, really get laid and I, I was really determined to like suck some dick all the time because a lot of my university friends were doing the kind of like yay let's be promiscuous thing and I wanted to join in with that and I really wanted to to make my mark known and let people know that I could suck dick too just like them so this next thing I did was more about me wanting to get my dick sucked um example two is I met this guy and I wrote down app but really I just met him on gay.com which was like the mid-2000s, like, grinder version, I guess you could say, for gay men. So I met him on this site, and he wanted me to go over to his place and fuck him, and we could fuck each other. Um, and this excited me a bunch, because I love the idea of being disabled and fucking in someone else's house. As I'm sure I've said on this show, someone, please fuck me at your house. Please fuck me at your house. I'd love to look up at your ceiling and not necessarily see my track lift or my disability devices up above my head as we're having sex. I repeat, please 
Fuck me in your house. Please, future lovers. Please fuck me in your house. So we set it up and chatted and did all the things. And I laid out that I was disabled. And I laid out what my needs were. And I was very clear with him about that. Um, and I then, he's like, okay, come over. It'll be great. So I booked a cab and lied to my attendants. And I hightailed it out there. It was on the outskirts of my university town. So it wasn't really in the city center. It was a little bit further out. And the guy was texting me on my old Nokia phone. Okay, side note. Until the iPhone came out, the the Nokia phone, the old Nokia phones that were like bricks, were my jam. I loved them so much because they would last forever. The battery would never die. And so he was texting me on my little phone. And I would get like bleep bleeps every now and then when he would text. Um, and so I got there. The cabbie let me out. And, and even the cabbie was like, um, are you sure this is where you want to go? Like it was a really kind of roughshod part of town. And I said, yeah, yeah, thank you. And the guy texted me that he'd be right down in a second. Now, I had no reason not to believe him. So in my wheelchair on the street corner of his house, or the house where he told me that he was, I waited. Say that the, the, the word here that you should focus on is that I waited. I waited a whole long time. And I, sh I think some of you know where this is going. Because I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And it was, it was also, I think it was fall time. I'm pretty sure it was fall. So I was wearing not appropriate pants. And I was wearing this little tiny shirt. And it was dark outside. And it was reaching that point in fall time where it gets really cold. And really kind of nipply. And I, that's where it was. And I, I was wearing something to fucking, not to dress properly for this guy that I was supposed to meet. And he just kept never showing and never showing and never showing. And he, he didn't show up. But I'm sitting there in my chair in the cold looking really uh, ridiculous. And he kept texting me every few minutes saying, Oh, yeah, I'll be right there. I promise I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't worry. And this pattern continued for almost three hours. Now, imagine mid-twenties wannabe mask-for-mask mask Andrew in his wheelchair, totally catching pneumonia, and the guy isn't showing up at all. And I did catch pneumonia, but I wouldn't find out that out for a few years later because it was walking pneumonia, and I had it repeatedly from dumb experiences like this where I didn't properly dress. Because when you're disabled and it's wintertime, you don't dress properly because you're like... If I'm going out alone, no one's going to help me take off my coat, so I just won't wear a coat. And then you freeze, and you wish you had worn a coat the whole time. But I was stubborn, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited for this apparent tryst that I was dying to have to happen. Of course, it didn't. The guy never showed, and I eventually realized that I had to get the fuck home to safety. So at around 3 a.m., I called a cab to go home. And they very politely informed me that there were no more disabled cabs and they wouldn't be available until 6 a.m., which means I had three more hours to sit and wait. And it's at this point, it's dark. You can hear, like, random dogs barking and the police cars from the distance that the sirens are going. You know when you're, like, out and it's dark and you're picturing, like, New York? In the nighttime, that's what it was. It was like, boo boo, woof woof, that kind of like dogs at night. That was my, that was my like, 
that was my sonic representation of what I was going through. I was also freezing, and I wanted things, I wanted to go home, but I had to wait. And during all of this, I realized I had to pee. Oh, fuck, I'm by myself, and I have to pee, and nobody can help me. What the fuck do I do? <laughs> and at the time, because I was mask for mask, disabled in my 20s, and way too proud to pee myself, I refused to just pee myself, whereas now, if that happened to me, I'd be like, fuck you, I'm just gonna pee, or I'm gonna get somebody to catheterize me, I don't fucking care. But I was way too proud at that point to do anything, so I held it in for way too long, until, like, my eyeballs were swimming with the need to pee, and so, so I decided to... There was a house across the street from where I was, like one of these scary, like rundown, almost trailer parky types houses, but it was, it was, it was a house. So I roll over there and I knocked on the door somehow and a kindly French man who in my brain has always been named Jacques. I don't know what his real name was, but in my head, his name is Jacques. So Jacques, uh, who did not speak a word of English, by the way, answered the door and somehow, I don't know how, somehow, I managed to convince him to help me pee. I probably said something like, Uh, excusez-moi, monsieur, je besoin de pipi. I probably said something ridiculous like that, which, which in French was, Excuse me, sir, I really have to pee. Uh, but I didn't bring my urinal with me. So, he, the nice man, realized I had to pee, got a bucket... From his shed. <laughs> when I think about how ridiculous what I did was. He helped me pee in this bucket from his shed at like 2 in the morning. Um, and then I realized I had like another hour to wait. Until, no, it was like, no, no, it was like 5 in the morning. And then I realized I had another hour to wait until I could go home. Um, and so I finally got home in a cab. At like 6 a.m. And I survived this whole ordeal. But I'm really not sure how I did it. I have no clue how I made it out of there alive. A couple days later when I noticed the guy online. And I asked him like WTF what the fuck happened. He was like I saw you from my window. I realized you were ugly. And I was laughing at you to see how long you would sit there in your wheelchair and wait. And I just couldn't believe that somebody would be that rude and be that cold and be that callous. And I was like, you're a fucking asshole. Like, okay, fuck you. Uh, and so, you know, the whole experience taught me never to do that to do that again. But um, I should totally get a shirt from the experience that says, I went out, <laughs> I went out for peen and all I got was ableism and a side of pneumonia. That'd be an awesome shirt. I should totally make those and sell them as part of Disability After Dark. I totally went out for dick and all I got was pneumonia. Like, fuck, it's too awesome. All I got was ableism and pneumonia. Amazing. So the third silliest thing I did to make a guy like me was uh, I wanted to fuck this traveler in my college town who was visiting from New York. And at the time, I'd never been to New York. I'd never visited there. So the whole idea of, like, fucking some gay guy from New York felt very sex in the city to me. Very, like, sophisticated, very queer as folk. Like, gonna fuck you in your hotel room kind of sex. Again, 
I want to fuck someone in their hotel room because I never get to do that. So if you're visiting me in Toronto and you want to get down, let's go to your hotel room and figure out accessibility because I want to fuck you there. Don't worry, there will be an episode about how to make all these things more or less accessible if you want to fuck the hottest queer cripple in your apartment or in a hotel, i.e. me. Um, So I wanted to fuck this dude at his hotel room. So we hit it off online, and we were, like, playful. But doesn't everybody hit it off online? And then you get there, and you're like, whoa, something feels odd. But when I, And so when I got there at 1 a.m., he was giving off a... And I wrote down here, a bonafide <laughs> creeptastical... A bonafide creeptastical adventure of... Adventure of Nope. Bonafide creep, creeptastical adventure of Nope. <laughs> What's really sad about all that is that I'm making myself laugh at something I wrote last night in my notes. He looked like an ugly version of St- of Stephen Colbert. This is what I distinctly remember. He looked like an ugly version of Stephen Colbert, and it was just painful. And he started doing that rude American thing that, as we, as Canadians, we hate. And you, all you Americans noted it. It's when you say, like, huh? What? Huh? That really rude American thing. I couldn't deal with you. He was doing that all night long, and I couldn't handle it. Um, that thing where they're not even paying you any attention. They're just talking t- at you. Really, really annoying. So I wanted to get out of there really fast, but I ended up being stuck there all, all night long because, again, there were no disabled cabs available at the time. And the guy didn't even bother to help me undress when he realized that we weren't going to fuck, we weren't compatible. He didn't help me undress. He put me in the bed with him, and I I was laying next to him, and I remember staying awake, staring at the streetlight in his hotel room until about 6 a.m., and then I was like, fuck this noise. I got to go home. This guy's a creeper. I got to get out of here. I remember waking this guy up at 6 a.m. and, like, screaming in his ear for him to get up because obviously he was a heavy sleeper. And I don't remember his name, but I remember distinctly being like, Hey! Hey, you! Get up! I have to go home right now! And so the guy, like, grumbles out of bed, puts me in my chair, uh, and I, I grab what I think is all my stuff, call a cab, and leave. And I get in the cab, and I'm all disheveled. I look like something definitely happened to me. I look... Like, I had a night out that was really didn't go so well. And I remember the cabbie commented on it, and um, I said, no, no, I'm fine. But then, as I'm getting home, I realized that I didn't have enough money with me to get home, and I was like, oh, fuck. So I asked the guy to to let me out, and as I'm getting out, I realized that I don't have my key with me, which means I left it at this guy's hotel. So I beg the cab driver to turn around and let me go back to this guy's place, who I don't even want to see again, but I have to get my key back. So I go back there at like 6.30 a.m., knock on his door, get my key back. He grumbles at me. But when he was putting me back in my chair, the guy, um, he didn't pull my pants up enough, so I didn't have enough money for a cab. So I had to walk home from the hotel back to my campus but because the guy didn't put my pants up enough, my pants were falling down the whole time. And it was frosh week, and I distinctly remember seeing a bunch of frosh 
walking back to my university, and I was like, okay, I'll just follow them. But as I was doing that, my pants were falling down, and you could see all my junk, and I'm pretty sure I flashed so many first years unintentionally trying to get home, and nobody would help me. So my, my dick's like flopping in the wind, and I'm just trying to get home. And I'm, I'm driving back thinking, oh, this is such a waste of everything. What an idiot you were. Why did you do this? Why did you let this happen to yourself, Andrew, you dum-dum? Um, and I was so angry with myself. And I remember getting home to my dorm room and my roommate and the attendant being like, what happened to you? And out of shame, I said, oh, nothing. I just, you know, hooked up with the guy last night and things went weird. And I didn't explain to them that, you know, they were also curious to, as to why my, like, I, why they could see basically my dick coming into the, the room. <laughs> it's because the guy didn't put my pants on my lap, but I was so embarrassed. So, so embarrassed. So those are some of the ridiculously silly things that I have done for love, lust, or peen, love, lust, peen, or everything in between, if you will, and how sometimes I compromise my disability. Just briefly, while I'm thinking about it as I'm recording, there was also a time I went to a, a queer bar in my college town, and I it was snowing, it was like minus 30 degrees, because in, in the, the, the town where I lived, it's right on the corridor from one of the, 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 the lake corridors to the capital of the country, so it gets really cold there, um, and so it's like minus 30 degrees, and it's time to go home, and there are no cabs again. The moral of this podcast is that if you are a disabled cab driver, be available all the time, so that when I want to suck dick at 3 a.m., I can get home safely, P.S. Um, there were no cabs available, and I had to walk home in the snow with wearing what I can only describe as like a onesie with jeans, with my, like, nipples out. It was really, I'm surprised my nipples didn't freeze off. My friend and I, who I found at the bar that night, thank God, walked me home at about 3 a.m., and I remember just being like, oh, wow, Andrew, you're ridiculous. Never do that again. Like, never. Um, but, yeah, those are some ridiculous times that I was li- was did silly things for love, lust, peen, and everything in between. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you want to send me a Minnesota about funny things that you did for love that compromised your disability and weren't super safe and were complicated by your disability, I would love to hear those stories. Send them to disabilityafterdark at gmail.com for the Minnesodes, and we'll see you for the next episode or the next Minnesota. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Bye! Alright, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. 
And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do do things like get better equipment. You help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright, Crippled Content Creations, 2018.